welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Heavenly Father, I thank you for beautiful flowers before your altar this morning. I thank you for um, the sound of many voices singing the same song of praise to you. These are little pictures, uh, little tastes, little foretastes of the, uh, the heavenly reality, the beauty that we will see one day. And so, Lord, help us to be grateful and thankful and cherish what you've given us for today. The joys and the loves that we have in our life. Lord, let us receive those with thankfulness and joy and uh, with open hands. Seek to give and to uh, multiply those loves in all the world as we proclaim Jesus. I thank you that that is manifest here in this place and uh, it is a gift to us all. Help us to receive it by faith uh, in the power of the Spirit this morning, Lord. And as we come to the, the gospel text this morning, as we hear uh, the teaching of Jesus, which confounds the wise of the age, which confounds even me, Lord, would you help us to hear this morning, uh, to trust and to obey and to love and to begin to believe uh, more and more today uh, what it is you want to, uh, to make happen in our hearts, Lord, by faith. So, Lord, make that happen this morning as I speak and as we all listen. Lord, help us to be humble and hear with faith and thanksgiving. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going super lo-fi this morning. No microphone, no projection. It's very old school. Uh, we're going to be in the gospel text this morning, Luke chapter 20. It's in page 880 of the Pew Bible. I encourage you to look um, as, we, as we get into this text, page 880, Luke chapter 20. Uh, I am I'm running on fumes post synod. Uh, it was it was a delightful time, a very exhausting time. I stayed up way too late, later than I'm normally no, normally my eight thirty or nine o'clock bedtime. Uh, One o'clock is quite a bit later, but it was rich in relationships. So, the good news of Jesus always challenges our sin. It always challenges our rebellion against God. But Luke's testimony is especially challenging. At least to me, it's especially challenging to me. Luke confronts our comfortable status quo religion, our making concession after concession to the Romans or to our state authorities. The story that Luke tells of Jesus is pointed to Jerusalem the whole way. If you, you've, we've heard, you've heard a few sermons on Luke, and there's always movement in Luke all the way up to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 19, following our reading about Zacchaeus from last week, from last Sunday, Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem and goes straight into the temple to flip over some tables. Okay, so... We're getting to our text. All the temple authorities wanted to, uh, wanted Jesus destroyed, as Luke says. It's very strong language, destroyed. But all the people gathered at the temple were hanging on his words, okay? Hanging on his words. So, all right, 
All right, they said, let's pose to Jesus the hardest, the most controversial questions and rabbinic debates so that we can make him look bad. And then the people will respect us. They'll respect us. And then we can kill this rebellious rabbi. Okay, so this, this is our context moving into our gospel reading from Luke chapter 20 this morning. First, they questioned the authority of the prophets who came uh, before Jesus, including John the Baptist. Then, then they questioned how we relate to the authority of the state, uh, the authority of the state and the authority of God. How are we supposed to do that as followers of God? And thirdly, in our gospel reading, the Sadducees come and question Jesus's authority against, and they pit him against the authority of Moses and the Torah. Okay, the first five books of the Bible. So look with me at verse 27 of Luke chapter 20. Let's hear this again. We just heard it, but it's helpful to hear it again. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. Verse 28. And what did they say? They asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So this is this is the practice of leveret marriage. OK, this is outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, the, if you're familiar with the story of Ruth and Ruth chapter four, this is the kinsman redeemer. This is a this is a beautiful and wonderful tradition in, in, in Israel. And so they're they're setting this up against uh, Jesus. They're, they want they want to they want to catch him. They want to catch him and make him look bad. So look with me at verse 29. They unpack that. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? Whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. The Sadducees find Jesus' teaching and this is much like the Pharisees' teaching. So this is a Pharisaical teaching. They believed in the resurrection. They find this teaching about the resurrection to be absurd, which is clear in this, this very hyperbolic, exaggerated situation, this story that they tell. But their question also assumes that the resurrection will be merely a continuation of this present life on earth. It assumes that it's just a mere continuation of this present life. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Now, while we might have a true, and, I, and I'll say true in this context, a Pharisaical belief. The Pharisees were right on this one. Pharisaical belief in the resurrection. We believe it's true. Most of us well-off Western middle-class American Christians imagine heaven to be merely a continuation of our present bellies full content with our present comfort experience. Okay. So we're very much Sadducees this morning. We might think true thoughts about the resurrection, even rejecting the fanciful Gnostic clouds and cherubs and disembodied spiritual resurrection, which is popular in our day, which is a heresy. Let's just be clear. That's a heresy. 
We believe in the physical, the bodily resurrection from the dead. But even if we get all that right, we are practical Sadducees. We're practical Sadducees, Sadducees comfortable in this present age. And so we imagine the resurrection to be a mere continuation of our present experience. And so this exaggerated question of leveret marriage really makes sense to us. It makes sense to us. So what is Jesus' answer? Look with me at verse 34. He gives it in two parts. So the first part, starting in verse 34, Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So here's the first part of Jesus's response. He says, no, Sadducees, no, Chris Bora. The age to come will not be a mere continuation of our present earthly experience. Why? He says, If there is no death in the age to come, then your question doesn't make any sense because leveret marriage was given to continue the family line so that the inheritance would not be lost and so that the promise would continue to the next generation to be fulfilled. Death is no more. Therefore, Jesus says, that's a dumb question. He's so he's so snarky. It's just I want you to feel the snarkiness there. He's very awesome. More than that, I I would totally miss this question, by the way. I'm so glad I was not in the temple hearing this question. I'd be like, like all of us feel Um, more than that. So Jesus is so smart. I love it. More than that, in the resurrection, we do not become angels. We do not become angels, but we will be esangelos, which means we will become angel-like, sharing in the everlasting inheritance of the host of heaven, and we will not die. So no marriage and certainly no need for a kinsman redeemer because we will be with the redeemer forever. Okay, this is his response. Jesus continues in verse 37, the second part. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not of the dead but of the living, for all live to him. Jesus could have gone to Daniel chapter 12 to teach about the resurrection. But the Sadducees weren't big fans of the later Jewish writings. So Jesus meets them on their turf. And this is good for us to hear. We need to meet people on their ground and speak to them. He meets to them on the turf of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Jesus responds, the Lord, the God of our fathers said that he would fulfill his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And if they are dead, if they are finally and completely dead, no more, then God is a liar. God is not slow in fulfilling his promise as some count slowness. He is patient to fulfill his promise. Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and our brother Joe, along with every other saint and martyr, are alive around the throne in Christ right now. 
And they await the Lamb of God coming again at the final resurrection. This is his response. This is his response. No marriage because no death. No need for kinsmen redeemers because our redeemer lives and we live in him. God will keep his promise to everyone who has died in Christ and has been raised with Christ. Jesus answered their question with words. And here is the, I mean, if you don't get anything else, he answered their question indeed just a few chapters later. None of this makes any sense. Teaching on the resurrection, if the resurrection didn't happen, it's all foolishness, okay? So remember, read the rest of the gospel. Keep going. Jesus answered their question indeed just a few pages later. This is our hope. This is our peace. Christ is risen from the dead. So uh, there's the sermon, okay? What does hope in Christ coming again supposed to feel like now? That's what I that's why I want to unpack just a little bit more. It's very hard for me to grasp the fullness of the resurrection when I have so many strong and beautiful memories that I just want to continue to go on forever. Right. I have this continuation narrative in my head. Lord, just just keep what I have and give it back to me forever. That's what I want. Of lifelong, never wavering friendships, of holy and happy marriage, of many years of wonderful and fulfilling ministry in this place. How can we begin to hope, to believe, to feel a deep longing for the resurrection? St. Clive Lewis, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> All of our earthly memories are, he says, built into our nerves and our muscles and therefore into our imagination. So it's, this is hard to get. We can't get out of this. We need a resurrected imagination. So I want to unpack a resurrected imagination in three ways, okay? A biblical imagination, a literary imagination and a sacramental imagination. So uh, hopefully not too long, but pretty quickly. There are two sides. So we're going to start with biblical imagination. There are two sides to the coin of biblical imagination concerning the resurrection. The one side of the coin, the glorious imagery is on one side and on the other side are negations. Okay, what do I mean by negation? So we have glorious imagery and it's tied with and it's necessarily that these go together. Okay, negations are on the other side. So what what do I mean by negations? I mean, no more this or no more that. Okay, we imagine rightly that so much of the future restoration and the future hope will be in righteous judgment of wickedness. No more of that. In restoration of what is broken and destroyed, in, re- in recreation of the creation that cries out, recreation, right? We long for in our pain and our depressions, even our anger, we long for that day to come, for restlessness to be resurrected into eternal rest, for wavering and broken loves to become everlasting, steadfast, hesed, loving kindness, for war to become peace, for death to become life. Negations are one side of the coin of the biblical imagination about the resurrection. At first glance, at least to my short-sighted and faithless eyes, this disingenuous question from the Sadducees 
about the resurrection sounds like a negation. No more tears, no more suffering, no more hunger, and no more marriage. No more marriage. We are like the Sadducees, content with our present political, social, marital, friend, friend, love, and content with our religious status quo. I can't really argue against that because that's true. That's always going to be true until he comes again. But the biblical imagination is more than negations. There is glorious imagery on the other side of the coin. And here's the challenge of all the glorious imagery. We cannot even begin to imagine the resurrected state without talking about earthly images. That's the only thing we know. We talk about earthly images, like kids looking at a sunset landscape, trying to draw it with crayons on construction paper. We hear and we see the vivid descriptions of the resurrected state, the new heavens and the new earth, and we scribble down as best we can on our construction paper as much of the beauty, beautiful reality that we can take in. We draw, we write, we imagine earthly things exalted, crowns of righteousness. You can see that, crowns of righteousness, streets paved with gold, unpolluted and perfectly harmonious ecosystems, banqueting tables set with the best food from every nation on earth. That sounds awesome. That sounds great. Washed down with perfectly cultivated wine that when the day of the Lord comes, it'll be the perfect time to open the bottle. It's been sitting, still sitting. Joyful laughter and restored relationship with countless multitudes of people when we will all together be near to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is seated at the head of this table, his character on wonderful display, his unending mercy, his steadfast love, his unquenchable joy, his untouchable power right there. All the glorious imagery of a fully biblical imagination must finally and fully be fixed on Jesus. We need to read about his first coming over and over again, because if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the father. If you worship and praise Jesus in all the confounding glory at his first coming, you can begin to taste and long for the fullness of his second coming. So first, biblical imagination. Two more quick helps. Uh, secondly, literary imagination. Literary imagination. I do not believe this is an optional discipline. The more I live. This is not an optional discipline. The more that our cultural depression takes root, we must read and delight in Christian reflections on the restoration of all things. You need to have Narnia or Middle Earth or the mended wood, or air we are, or the list goes on. These are just some of my recent stories. That I just They'll never get out of my head or my soul or my heart. If I want to not only believe, but also to feel the richness of resurrection life, that it's not a loss of joy or intimacy and satisfaction that I have with my bride, Jody, but an explosion a recreation, an altogether more beautiful love on display in Christ with all the saints. If I want to not only believe that, but also to feel that, I need deep, rich Christian stories to help me. 
which is another way to say I need another Christians reflecting on this deep reality and bringing me in further. So let me tell a short fable, which I got from a book. Guess what book? It was a C.S. Lewis book, okay? (laughs) Imagine this picture. Imagine a pregnant princess. I, I rephrased it in my own words, okay? So imagine a pregnant princess locked in a deep dungeon with a pencil and a piece of paper. At the height of this cavernous dungeon, there's a little window where you can just see sunlight and maybe a wisp of a cloud, or you think you can. So high up, you can't really tell. Now imagine that she gives birth to a child in that dungeon, a child who has never seen mountains, smelled oceans, felt grass between his toes. So she draws pencil drawings of mountains and rivers and oceans and birds and giraffes and grass. Her little child has only ever known the hardness of cold stone and stale bread and water at the bottom of a dungeon. But he knows the loving touch of his mother. And he can imagine how bright the outside sun must be from the small glimmer of light breaking through the window above his head. His mother grew up and lived there. She was there. And she willingly came down here. She was there in the real world. And he believes by faith he's never seen it. He was born in this place. This real and beautiful two-dimensional pencil drawing points to the real world above. In his own words, we know not what we shall be, but we may be sure we shall be more, not less than we were on earth. I cannot live without a fully alive Christian literary imagination. I, I just don't know any other way to do it. So I invite you into that. It's a, it's a really good thing to do. I have recommendations if you have any, uh, any questions where you should start. And then lastly, sacramental imagination. The resurrected heavenly feast at the banquet table of our Lord breaks into this present reality right here. And this isn't just imaginative words on a page. This is real bread and real wine taken into your real body. This is the real presence and real grace of Jesus that you eat. Like a real beautiful artistic pencil drawing on a page, this is a foretaste of the coming fullness at the banqueting table of our Lord. This is the fullness of the coming restoration between God and man and between one another. So when you take this sacrament by faith and thanksgiving, you will be restored. It's not fake. It's not pretend. It's real. My, my kids built real Lego houses. They don't know how to build real houses yet, but it's real and it's fun and it's awesome. Legos are great. Yeah, I just I just compared the Eucharist to Legos. That, that was not in my notes. Um, there will be everlasting Eucharist with Jesus one day. So praise God that we begin to imagine and to experience that Eucharistic reality now here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 